Welcome to the Gateless Podcast, where inspiring women share their journeys to success on their own terms. I'm Kara, an executive at a tech startup, and I've been in tech pretty much my whole career. Haley is not here today, but together we're the co-founders of Gateless, a thriving community where women share openly about their own path to success. So each episode, we're bringing you inspiring interviews with incredible women who have forged their own paths, overcome challenges, and achieved really big things. Our mission is to connect and uplift women in all aspects of their professional lives and share the things that have worked. So get ready to be inspired, motivated, and enlightened. Welcome to the Gateless Podcast. Today, we have Anna Wright, who is a senior leader at LinkedIn, but more importantly, is just a badass in her personal life, too, and has just built so many wealth-building strategies for herself, and we're going to spend a little bit of time picking your brain and understanding how in the world you got to where you are today. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm so excited about this conversation. I've been thinking about it for a while because there's so many avenues that we go. Like you have such a sex, successful career in tech. You have are have such an incredible journey in your philanthropic, philanthropic work. You have done so much in building wealth for yourself and like your retirement plan is basically on lock through everything that you've done um, in acquiring rental property. So there's so much that we can learn, but let's start with and I don't even know some of this. So can we just hear a little? You're are, you're local, right? You're, you grew up in Clearwater. Clearwater. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> and just tell us a little bit about, you know, how, what were you like when you were younger? How, what did you want to be when you grew up? How did you even pick? Like, what was the ver- What was your brain like when you were in high school, college, and you're figuring out, like, what, what you wanted to do? Uh, yeah. So I grew up in Clearwater. Clearwater High all the way. Went to University of Florida. I... Um, actually went to university for shockingly archaeology. What? So I've always had um, a bit of a spark of adventure and wanting to travel and wanting to meet new people and wanting to kind of learn about cultures and things like that. So uh, yeah, so I went to school for uni- university for uh, archaeology, did field school in Peru, uh, did uh, another field school in St. Augustine, so had some really great adventures, uh, but then took a little bit of a turn and moved to Seattle, uh, where I got my, uh, in my MBA. So instead of taking the archaeology path, I thought I would do business and archaeology would be sort of my, my side gig or like a place that I got my passion as a volunteer. Uh, did that for a while um, and then accidentally found myself working at a software company. Um, it was a medical software. So originally I was working there in their clinic um, and that was like kind of what I did in college. So I met um, that company through being just like an office manager. And uh, when I moved back to Gainesville uh, after being in Seattle, I had um, I was their office manager of their digital company, and I had used their software and the in the office. And so it became really simple for me to do like what would be a demo because I was really just showing them showing someone how to use the tools. And I think that's been, you know, throughout my sales career, what the way that I think about things, you're just showing or explaining or teaching. And that became, that happened because I wasn't a trained salesperson. I just sort of fell into it. So Uh, how did you, how did you end up randomly at the software company? Yeah. So I was working in the clinic while I was in college as their office manager moved away. When I moved back, uh, contacted them and they said, 
uh, well, we have an opening. We need some, we need an office manager for our digital company. And I was like, all right, let me give that a try. I don't need a job. I need a job. Let's try it. Um, Yeah. And so it just ended up that I turned out to be their only sales person, you know, because they didn't have like a sales team. The owner was just showing uh, demos to his friends and they were kind of growing the company very organically. Did you know you wanted to be in sales oh, or no. was that similar to how most people end up in sales? Like, yeah, <laughs> it just it, happens. It happens. And that's a whole nother topic, maybe for another day. But I believe that the sales industry does not have the respect that it should as oh, yeah. far as like education goes. Yeah. Why we don't have that as a degree in a university, I will never know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that because being in sales is not about selling people things they don't need. Correct. Which is what a lot of people think. Correct. It's being an excellent listener. It's being able to have someone explain to you a problem that maybe they didn't even know they had and then bridge a gap to a solution. Like that and that is just a skill in life that I think makes you an interesting person to be around. It makes you a great conversationalist. It makes you very resourceful, you know? So I I agree with you. That is another topic for another day. Curiosity and problem solving. Yeah. And you know, um, having the tenacity to have someone to talk to them about the problems that they have, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And yes, all of it. Um, so you were working at this startup or was it a startup or just, okay. It was a startup. And at that point were you like, Hmm, maybe I want to stay in this or was it, did it, when did it get intentional in your career pathing? So in that job, that was like, uh, you know, all of a sudden I'm doing demos, but that wasn't my job. And then it, inch by inch, day by day, week by week, it kind of became my job. Mm -hmm. And then I started, you know, um, participating in um, webinars and going to events, um, industry events, things like that, where I could tell the story in a broader scene. I was doing presentations all of a sudden in front of, you know, hundreds of people and being very successful. And all of a sudden it was like, well, wait a minute, this is kind of fun. And I get to travel and I get to meet people and I get to talk to people. All those things that I just said about archaeology that I love, now I get to do it in the world of sales. Um, And so anyway, that was, it wasn't intended to be a sales job. So it wasn't quite frankly paid as a sales job. Mm -hmm. And then I had friends that lived in New York and I was visiting them. And then I was like, maybe, maybe I want to move to New York. Maybe I want a new adventure. So I did, I ended up moving to New York, uh, applied for all kinds of sales jobs. I ended up in a sales job, but it wasn't a tech sales job. Mm -hmm. And that's when I realized it's almost like at the beginning of your career, each of your jobs teach you what you don't want to do so that you can move closer and closer to something that you do want to do. And uh, so that was, um, you know, an incredible experience. Um, But then what I found myself step by step moving back and closer and closer into tech, tech sales, which was, again, that more consultative um, explain, you know, explaining mm-hmm. software and, and talking about business process. At what point did you end up at LinkedIn? Because I know you spent most of your sales career at LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. How many years have you been there? Twelve. Twelve. That's a lot, especially in what we do. Yeah. Um, so, how did you? How many jobs did you have before that? Uh, I think I was like one year at each job up until the job right before LinkedIn. So the job right before LinkedIn was a staffing agency. Oh, cool. And. Um, Again, I, I kind of accidentally got in there. I feel like that was, uh, I, I thought that job was more of a tech sales job, but it was a tech staffing job. Okay. okay. So a um, little bit different. Um, but I got into this industry that I found really fascinating uh, and quite lucrative and fast paced and, you know, people are very direct. And those are all things that I really enjoy environmentally. 
So I, uh, yeah, so I uh, was working there and then LinkedIn started a division for staffing, uh, selling to staffing companies. And so a friend of mine got recruited to go there to take on a sales book of working with staffing agencies to sell them the LinkedIn solutions, Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, was kind of an intersection of of things that, um, you know, he had kind of two different sides of the experience. And then once he got there, it was successful. So he needed, they, they needed another person. He reached out to me and kind of recruited me to come. So here, so there we were, that's, that was the start, you know, as a first level entry level sales rep at LinkedIn. Um, we called them relationship managers at the time. I was an RM one and worked my way up, <laughs> up the ranks and it was never a direct path. It had lots of loops and sidesteps and, you know, um, it's just been a ride. You know, I feel like I grew up with LinkedIn and mm-hmm. LinkedIn has grown up with me. There were 900 employees at the time. And um, I thought at the time, this company is so huge. I've missed the boat. Like I missed the the growth yeah. spurt, you know, and now you look at from 12 years ago to now, it's like incredible exponential. Yeah. Okay. So there's obviously so much that happened in the 12 years that you've been at LinkedIn, but I'm very curious to hear what what if if there's something that you can identify as like okay this is this is what helped me succeed and stay there for 12 years and here are the things that maybe I wish I would have known going into that job yeah so um as that kind of relationship manager very junior mm-hmm. almost every person at the company was more senior than I was mm-hmm. what i've the advice i've given to so many people and that i believe so much is that the way that you grow in your career is to find places where uh, the company's not been successful or the team is not very good at something and figure it out. Mm. So find that space that's not working and be the one that figures it out. Like, give me an example. So um, at the staffing company, sorry, at LinkedIn, uh, working with the staffing companies at the time, they didn't believe that staffing companies would buy anything to do with marketing Uh. or media. And we were just selling them the tools that they could do proactive outreach. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I wonder why they don't think that the companies, the staffing companies will buy this. And uh, I just literally went back to my desk after training one day and took the PowerPoint that they gave us for the corporate customers. And I said, they're just using the wrong words. Mm -hmm. They're not telling the story right for this industry. So I took one PowerPoint deck and changed the words and the flow. And I just started showing it to my customers. And every time I would kind of hit a wall, the way they would say no, I'd be like, all right, I got to fix that. And then I would show it to the next customer and then get a little bit further and that, or find a different objection or a different mm-hmm. challenge. And then I just kept doing it over and over again until I perfected that narrative and then just sold the heck out of the marketing and media s- solutions to our staffing companies because it worked. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't being um, explained correctly. So find the problems that the company has and make it your mission to solve those problems. And then you become so valuable that yeah. it's just you find the next problem. The next problem. The thing is, your uh, what's so important in your career, and I have, I avoided this so hard at the beginning, mm-hmm. um, but your personal brand is so important in your career paths because decisions about your career are made when you are not in the room. Mm-hmm. So, what are people saying about you when you're not in the room? What's what's your reputation? If there's some new um, something that's rolling out, something that they need a uh, voice of the field, like you want people to think of you as that person that can figure it out or that can share with their peers um, uh, something that that someone else could not figure out. 
Uh, so that's a great point. I think you always want to, I agree with you, like you want to be the person that's name is brought up in the room that you are not in. And there's the part that you can control in that, which is doing everything you possibly can to be valuable. And then there's the part that you can't control, which is you have to be working with people that are the kind of men or women that will say your name in a room that you're not in, a room full of opportunities that you're not in. So I want to hear about that as it related to your time at LinkedIn too. Like what were the people and leaders you were working for actually like? Were they supportive? Did Were they not? Did you have to figure that out? Yeah, we, we use the term at LinkedIn a lot, relationships matter. And it is so true. So after 12 years, um, half of my job gets done because I know who to call or who I've known in the past, or I can call and say, I know that this is the policy, but let me explain to you how that's actually happening in the field and having someone listen to me because we've known each other. And so staying in touch and keeping the relationships strong, even in a remote world, even in, you know, a global company, having, um, uh, oh, I'm always my hands firmly in the air for projects that might be across uh, different segments. So Obviously, you want to stay involved in your team, but you want to be the voice of your team on other, you know, projects or in situations that in any way that you can. Yeah, uh, that makes a ton of sense. And when you described, you know, my key to success is finding the problem in the business and being the one to solve it was how did how did you learn to do that? Like, was that just a natural instinct for yourself or you know, if somebody is starting a new job and it might feel uncomfortable for them to go in and be like, ah, like this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong and I want to go fix it all. You got to be kind of subtle and tactful, but effective in that strategy. And I'm curious how the execution of it, but also like, how did you even think to be the one to do that? I can tell you some things that's worked well for me and things that people have said to me. Like um, I manage a team now, I have people that maybe join the team or when I've joined a team as a leader, they say to me, like, what can I do to make your job easier? You know, so, OK, what is your what is your boss's problem that you can help solve for your boss? Mm-hmm. Um, because all the, obviously that gets you into their good graces, mm-hmm. but also they have priorities that are based upon their boss's priorities, et cetera, up the chain. Mm-hmm. So if you're solving a problem that nobody cares about, it's probably not gonna help you very, very much. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're solving problems that, you know, go up the chain, yeah. um, you're going to get that visibility if you can solve it. I like that question. Like what, just asking your boss, just what, are ask. the, what are the problems and challenges that you have? How can I help? You How can I make your job easier? Mm-hmm. Like I had someone ask me that one time and I was like, well, uh, well you asked me. <laughs> really? Yeah, that's great. That's so great as question. someone that's, um, that's, you know, either getting to know your manager or um, wanting to move up. Um, you know, it might be like, hey, I have you have a vacation coming up. Can I step in and, mm-hmm. you know, run some meeting that you have instead? Or can I, you know, so, so it could be any myriad of like solving a long-term scalable problem or it might just be this is what's needed right now. Yeah. What roles have mentors played in your career? All. Like the career, the career advice I've gotten from people, I have, I, I think I have like a, the longest list of like little snippets that people have said to me that mm-hmm. in any situation will just pop back in my head. And I'm like, mm. so I've got, I, I've, I've said before, I should make a, a proper list 
and maybe like once a day or once a week, send out one of these like phrases that someone said to me that's totally changed my mindset. It's totally changed my um, like philosophies. And you have some examples? Phys- I want to hear a few. Mm. Not to put you on the spot. If yeah. you can think of a few. I can think of a few. Uh, for sure. Um, someone said to me one time, I was like, I was working so late and I was living in Europe at the time with LinkedIn. And mm-hmm. I just, I had a global team and I so I was working like to get the mm-hmm. APAC team and I was working with the Namer team and I'm in EMEA. So it was just like all hours of the day. And I was at the office and he'd gone to dinner and he came back and he's like, what are you still doing here? And I was like, I'm not finished yet. My to-do list is so long. And he goes, Anna, you will never get to the bottom of your to-do list. The trick of it is just to do the most important things first mm-hmm. so that whatever falls through, it's less important because things will fall through. And I was like, it was almost like giving me permission to not have to, 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 to just ruthlessly prioritize. Yeah. And when you prioritize, it means things are going to get deprioritized. And I never thought of it that way. I thought it was just like, you have to be perfect and get everything done all the time. And it was more about completion of the task than it was like, what's most important. Uh, this is something I think about all the time. Um, like the to-do list you make every day and trying to get much better at making sure the most important things are at the top and you're not moving on to the less important things just because they're easy. But only when you finish the most important things, do you have a method or a trick that you could share with me? This is going to sound so analog. I literally have post-it notes on my desk. And if something has to get done that day, it's written and it sits on my desk until I finish it and then I can throw it away. And I don't leave my desk until my post-it notes are good. And I know that sounds so, again, silly, but it's like it It has to stare at me in the face or else I'm going to procrastinate it. And I'm going to be like, I've got three things I've got to do before I can stop Mm -hmm. for the day. Yeah. And if somebody is like in a job where they're not sitting at a desk all day, it's like the note on your phone. Yeah. The, the things that have to get done that day end up in a note on your phone and you have to delete the note before the end of the day. Or something. Otherwise, you just get like in this reactive mode and you're mm-hmm. just literally doing whatever is pushing into your team's messages or your text messages or your mm-hmm. inbox and you're reactive and not actually getting any of those rocks complete. You're just filling your day full of sand. You're a, such a productive person, obviously, because you have a lot of responsibilities and your fingers are in a lot of different things. I know you're outsourcing some stuff, which we'll get to, but... What about the things that keep you in a good headspace or whether it's routines or non-negotiables for you every day or just the way you look at like your week or your or each day so that you know you're going to be able to not just give to the people that need from you and accomplish the things you need to accomplish, but also make sure that you maintain a healthy and happy mindset. I'm curious. Hard balance. Yeah, hard balance. But um, I live and breathe by my calendar. If that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know. But um, because there are so many competing priorities, if something is important, there's a follow-up time on the calendar. And mm-hmm. at that meeting, we're going to put when is the next follow-up meeting that we're going to have so that there's like milestones and things keep moving forward. Because if nothing else, it forces me and the other people involved to make progress before the next mm-hmm. time that we're going to come together. You don't want to come back together and say, I've done nothing. So it forces progress. Um, I do that in my personal life. I do that in my professional life too. So I'll have calendar, calendared meetings with friends that are we're working on projects together, or we'll talk in a minute about um, some of the philanthropic things. I have just literally calendar invites that we are recurring, or that we're scheduling the next one out at all times to make sure that we're staying on track. 
Okay, so you've perfected the art of keeping yourself accountable to doing the things that you need to do. What about the things that you do to keep yourself happy mm. in, in your, free, maybe not even just in your free time, but like in the morning, are there things you do for yourself before you start doing for others? I actually try not to have a routine. Okay. And um, again, over a glass of wine, this might be a different conversation, but um, I think that... Um, too much of a routine, then time slips by and time goes by so fast. So if you're, if you're doing the same things, um, I feel like, you know, all of a sudden a week goes by, a month goes by, a year goes by and, and time's gone. So I, I try to look at like what's happening immediately in front of me. What are my options and try to make different decisions. If it's driving somewhere, go a different way. So you see something else, you're going on vacation, go somewhere you haven't been before or try something new. So it's that like spice of new, I think that keeps me, mm-hmm. it's just my personal like energy is, is all around the being comfortable, being uncomfortable. I mean, it's so good for your brain mm-hmm. to always be trying new things, seeing things, even just like the driving somewhere without directions or taking a new way and figuring it out, like is supposed to be so good for you. So I buy it. I totally buy it. I don't do that, but I should. I find myself, I have, um, I say I've, it's, uncomfortable for me to get in too much of a routine, even at work. Mm -hmm. This is why 12 years at LinkedIn sounds like I've been there forever, but I've had eight different jobs in those 12 years. So it's not like I, you know, got in a job and got, and then got on an escalator and like moved up. It's like I jumped around because I was given opportunity to try different Mm -hmm. things. You prove yourself in one space. Maybe you're not exactly qualified for the other job, but because you did the other job well or you learned it, they trust, you. they trust you to go and do something that you wouldn't, I wouldn't have otherwise gotten that job from outside. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, so you've had a lot of success at LinkedIn. And I think something that is uh, a little taboo, but also I don't understand why, is like the conversation around what kind of success can you actually have in certain jobs. And like, tech and sales is quite lucrative. Um, you know, tech's having a little bit of a moment, but we'll get back. You don't have to share specifics, but I am curious to hear like what, what financial milestones were you meeting for yourself to open these up, open these doors for you to literally opening doors, getting, you have tons of rental properties. Like I want to hear about the process of, oh my gosh, I'm making all this money. Oh my gosh, I need to do something with it. How did you, A, what were some milestones that you hit that made you feel like, wow, I can start building for myself, for my future. And then how did you make the decision of actually what to do with that money? Money is a funny thing. Like when you have it, you almost feel like you got to spend it. Mm -hmm. It's got to go. I don't know. It's like a, um, and to me, I feel like Um, my job affords me to do things that I'm super passionate about. Of course, I'm very passionate about LinkedIn and the things that we're doing there, but the money that I make at the job is what affords me to do the things outside Mm -hmm. of work from making money, uh, in sales. It often is like an up and down because you're going to have your baseline and you have your commission. And so in sales, uh, I try desperately to live off my base because you don't know if that next commission check is coming or how much it's going to be, or maybe it's amazing. And so if you can do, um, if you can be a little frugal and live on your base, then you're able to kind of take this money and never see it so that I, it's gone. It's gone before it even um, hits me. So I don't feel like I should spend it. Um, And so then that, what that did was it kind of created a little bit of a nest egg. 
Um, I bought a house when I was in college in Gainesville. Um, it was like when they were giving out mortgages that they never should have given to. They gave me one of those. You bought I, a house in college. I, I made eight dollars an hour working part time, and they gave me a mortgage. Oh like my they, gosh. they never should have given me a mortgage. But it turned out it was a good investment, yeah. and in me and in um, you know me in in the house. So I was living there, and uh, my. My roommate, as soon as I moved away, my roommates were still there and paying rent. And so I was like, well, that's paying the mortgage. So I thought, well, I could just leave that. Like, I'll, I'll like set it and forget it. Like, that's kind of stuff. Like, okay, well, that will just you guys build equity li- there. there. paying the mm-hmm. bills. Okay. And then when they moved out, I was like, okay, I'll sell it now. And I was like, well, I wonder if I could get somebody else to move in. And so I just kept renting that house out. So okay. when I lived away... That house was always the place that I figured I'm going to rent it because I'm eventually going to end up back there. Mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking of it as an investment at the time. I was thinking about it, like that's where I'm going to end up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, and then when I moved back to Gainesville, where I would end up there, the people were paying the mortgage. So I was like, well, I'll just go buy another house and I'll mm-hmm. let them keep doing that. And that just started a switch in my brain where it was like, wait a minute, if I, I can get other this. people to pay my mortgage and if I can have um, like an accelerated payback rate, like. Maybe I can get it paid off in 10 years. And then it's just money coming in. And then I heard the term mailbox money, which also changed my way of thinking. I don't know what that is. You can be off doing anything and you still get a check to your mailbox. Oh, love that. So you like passive income, passive income. Yeah. Right. But okay. somehow the, the mailbox visual money. of that money coming to my mailbox, you know, so anything that I can do where it just sets it up and maybe I'm not making that money now, but it's set up to where it will give mm-hmm. me income passive. Uh, that's kind of the thing that triggers my brain. So basically, um, so I had those houses. I continued to work at, I was working at LinkedIn there. I had um, the amount that I was making for uh, base I was living off of. So then I would kind of get this little nest egg and then I would buy another house. Um, and it just sort of snowballed into something where oh. I don't take any revenue from these houses now. It just goes into a fund. And then, um, so all those rent payments go into this account. And then as time goes on, I have enough, I can just buy another house so I can buy it for cash. And then therefore I can find one that maybe has like, it needs a roof. So mm-hmm. someone who's getting a mortgage couldn't mm-hmm. afford it because they can't get a mortgage on it. So uh, I can get like a better price so I can mm-hmm. negotiate because I'm negotiating with cash. So it lets me, um, it lets me get to that point where I can kind yeah. of hold on to it and then keep my eye on the market. So I'm always looking for more places. I'm always looking for places that are um, location is most important. So, um, really close to the university of Florida in Gainesville and really close to the university of South Florida and Tampa are my properties. Mm-hmm. Um, because I also figure like you want to make sure you're recession proof mm-hmm. and, uh, students are going to go to school yep. even in a recession in, you know, um, that's so smart. Often parents are paying their kids rent. rent. And so I truly believe that parents will probably pay their kids rent before they'll pay their own mortgage even mm-hmm. because they don't want to have to admit to their kids that something's wrong mm-hmm. or they don't want to worry them and they want to keep their kid in college. So um, it so feels smart. to me like a uh, low, um, low risk mm-hmm. um, kind of a situation. I mean, I already have like two things that are burned into my brain now. Asking your boss, how can I make your job easier and buy rental properties near universities? So. Oh no, you're going to be my uh, I'm gonna, competitor. I'm gonna be your competitor. <laughs> no, we're not <laughs> about kidding. competition. There's enough Just for everybody kidding. here. <laughs> um, okay. So this is so fascinating. How long did it take you after you bought the first house to have enough cash to buy another house? A long time. 
Okay. Yeah, that's, I think it's like a, it's a snowball effect. So the first one is the hardest, right? Because you have no other way, you know. So in that first one, I, I got enough to put a down payment on the house and then a mortgage. Okay. And then um, as I was able to get additional, and, and um, I'm, I'm always thinking about like how long until I don't work and can still make this amount of money, mm-hmm. right? So it's like kind of um, uh, marching towards that goal. And so if I can then put more money down t- on a house, um, like to, to drive down the, um, uh, the, the, uh-huh. mortgage. The, the mortgage and pay it off faster, mm-hmm. then that makes me closer to be able to um, like not have to work. Like just be taking in money as yeah. opposed to actually paying any mortgages anymore. Exactly. Okay. And so then eventually, hopefully, you can get to the point where you, the, the houses are paying for the next houses. So do you think that this is the first thing that people should do when they get a little bit of money or do you, I mean, I know everybody's situation is different, but like, it sounds as though you actually have assets you can sell too. So if you needed cash for whatever reason, life happens, you just sell the actual assets. I'm a little risk adverse when it comes to um, the really creative ways that people make investments. Like buying uh, laundromats and car washes and those stuff are like things. that. Those choices, right? <laughs> but I, choices. but I, I feel like there's an asset that I can always fall back on and that yeah. I can also always leverage if I needed to. Um, so that's, I think it's like towards the long term, but it also helps me feel like this little comfort of a cushion if there was a problem. Okay. And how many rental properties do you have now? 18. 18 properties. Mm-hmm. And how do you have space in your brain for 18 rental properties and so, your own house so, and a job <laughs> and philanthropic work? So uh, this is where you start prioritizing your brain bandwidth and what amount of money is worth your time. Yeah. And so uh, I was managing the properties for a while myself from afar. I mean, so if something happened, I would just have to call a plumber and yeah, have how far arrive. is Gainesville anyway? Uh, Gainesville is like two and a half hours from here. Okay. But, but I was living like... in New York. I was living in Ireland. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And okay. so I had these properties. So then um, that's when I decided like, if this is going to be a path I'm going to go on, I need to outsource some of this effort. So that's when I got a property manager and still was able to like make it all fit into my, my, like the numbers of ROI that work for me. Wow. Okay. Um, so the success you had at all your jobs afforded you the ability to start this wealth building strategy. But also I know that you, uh, do a lot of work in Tanzania and with philanthropy. And I would love to hear about a, how did you even start that? And what does it mean to you? Like, where does this fit into your whole, what piece does it play in your whole life? So, I started at LinkedIn shortly after having gone to Tanzania as a superficial tourist. Like I went to go on safari and Mm -hmm. to go to Zanzibar Mm -hmm. and it was a wonderful vacation. Uh, And then something happened while I was there that changed my life. Uh, I was there with a friend and she introduced me to these two guys who were local businessmen and they had a safari company and they run a travel magazine and they do all these great things. Oh, and also on the side, they run an orphanage. And I was like, whoa, 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 what? And then I was like, wow, I feel like a jerk. You know, on the side, I go to brunch with my friends, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's wow. And they're like, oh, ha ha, laughing, you know, whatever. And then they said, you should come and meet our kids. And I was like, this idea of like a tour of an orphanage sounded, I don't know, weird. weird. Like, uh, I don't know. It just kind of felt like I don't 
I don't, I'm not comfortable with that. Like, can I give you something? Can I yeah. do something? But I, I don't know about that. And they're like, don't be silly. Bring a soccer ball and a bag of candy and come play with us. And I was like, oh. okay. So I arrived and met this woman named Rahima, who's the best human on this planet, probably. She was the mama of the orphanage. Yes. And she um, just has built this most, that the most loving and what I call the happiest place on earth. It's this orphanage called Kareem Child Care Center. And within five minutes, I'm like in tears going, I have to come back. I have to do something. I want to do something. Like, Did you have the thought, like, I should adopt one of these children? I, 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 <laughs> I would have. I would have been like, I need all of them. I just, you know, I was just overwhelmed yeah. with the love and the fact that they uh, are all taking care of each other mm-hmm. and that they all work so hard to build this house that, you know, to build this home that, mm-hmm. that they live in. And so I went back home and I sort of like, just like weighed on my heart a lot. And then I started at LinkedIn and I found out that they had this thing called a transformation grant. And it was like, you could apply and it was like $3,000, like not a whole lot of money, but it was to transform yourself, your community or the world. And so you had to say, what would this $3,000 go toward? And so I contacted Rahima and I said, I don't know if I'll get this grant, um, but I have to say what the money would go towards, like, is there something we could do? And she said, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and in her own words, she was basically saying that she wanted to be more financially self-sufficient because she was okay. just waiting for donations. Yeah. And if money doesn't come, like, how do they eat? How do they pay for school or anything else? She wanted to start, um, build a chicken coop that she could raise the chickens, sell the eggs, and then eventually wow. sell the chickens to get more chickens yeah. uh, to get more chicks and then like raise those and, and so on and so forth. So uh, we got the grant. We had to f- fundraise the rest of the money um, because it was about, it was like $8,000. It wasn't huge. It was a commercial grade chicken coop for 400 chicks. The chicken coop was $8,000 and you got 3000 so yeah. you had to fundraise about five. Okay. So, so I'd never done any fundraising before. I had no idea like how to ask people, but I felt really comfortable saying this isn't money for me. This is money for somebody else and it's mm-hmm. going to go for some really good so um, I was shocked at how generous my friends, family, colleagues were. It was it was like touching. Wow. Uh, so anyway, we raised the rest of money. We paid for our own trip over, and then we used all the money that we raised for like literally the first two days we were there. We were buy we were out on the market buying like sand and concrete blocks wow. and you know yeah all all mm-hmm. the kind of things that windows you know things that you need. So uh, it was a very local version of a trip to Tanzania, which was incredible. And I got to see part of that world that I wouldn't have seen as a tourist. So um, uh, while we were there also, by the way, we like climbed Kilimanjaro and we went, yeah, you know, and so while the workers are working, you know, we can be there on vacation because we paid for our own trip. It's okay to do good and enjoy your time. So yeah, there's uh, through line to your uh, archaeology degree. Totally, you love wanted to do it so you could travel. You got to travel through your career at LinkedIn a lot and live abroad. Mm-hmm. And now you're finding another way to travel, but also do so much good and, and to meet new communities and yeah. to know people um, that live in a totally different world um, and appreciate the differences. You know. Yeah. So um, long story short, we came back from that trip and it was incredible. And everybody that we had donated money. We're like, are you going to go again? Like, could, could we go? Can I go next time you go? And I was like, Oh, uh, I think that might've been a one-time thing. I don't know. And then we basically said, well, there's so much interest. Let's, 
let's do it again. So the next summer we did another, we did another project. And so, so you, you fun, you did fundraising again and then you went and built more chicken coops or something else. Yep. And um, then, uh, it just each year it got bigger and bigger. And, um, we sort of, again, kind of accidentally fell into this lane of building infrastructure that mm-hmm. we don't have to then like maintain over time. It's like, if we build a chicken coop, they can make money off of this. Yeah. And um, if we put in electricity, they can, uh, or if we put in solar panels, they can then have electricity. If we put in water, a well, they can get water. So it's Mm -hmm. like, um, we eventually did a daycare center as well. So they run that as a business now. So in the morning, all the kids from the orphanage go off to school and then the kids from the community come in to the property for the daycare. Um, So that's an amazing business for them. Right. And and uh, it eventually got to the point where the orphanage was in pretty good standing. So um, it was like, well, what, what kind of projects will we do now? We don't want to do projects just for the sake of projects. So uh, we had been introduced to this man that was a village elder at the Maasai, mm-hmm. at a Maasai tribe that was nearby. Mm-hmm. Well, it was, it's quite remote. Um, but long story short, they had been trying to build a primary school for six years. They'd been raising money, and they did a great job, and they, they built one classroom. But they were having trouble getting it certified by the government because it was going to take them so long to build oh. all the classrooms. Oh. There's seven classes in a primary school. So um, over the course of, like, two years, we built seven classrooms and four teachers' houses and toilet structure and some of the infrastructure that they needed to get it certified as a government school. And you keep, I assume you keep in touch with these, some of these people. Daily. Uh, really? On WhatsApp. We stay up. We stay daily? in touch. Uh, daily? I can show you today. What do you guys talk about? They send pictures of the kids. We're, we're always, we have uh, projects in process all the time. So wow. um, right now we are um, funding for the 2024 school year for the kids at the orphanage. Okay. Um, so, you know, we're... we're um, introducing them to introducing new people who are sponsoring the new kids. They have three new kids that have just come recently. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're getting pictures of the kids, seeing what they're doing. Graduations are happening now. I'm actually going back in a month. I'm so excited to go to the oldest kids university graduation. Whoa. So it's the first of the children to wow. like graduate out. So I'm super excited. So that's happening in a month. Um, wow. And I then mean, we're also, we just completed a water well at the Maasai. So, um, um, they're having a celebration with the government, and so that's going to happen when I'm there too. So I'm excited I get to go back and see them too. I mean, the impact that you're making on these people's lives is incredible. I, the I'm impact sure that they that's... make on my life is the thing that's shocking. Like I, I say to uh, the person who was the executive sponsor at LinkedIn for those transformation grants, I say, just so you know, that what you transform the most is not that community; it's me. You know, like because it, it just totally changed that trajectory of yeah. What, what I do. And my favorite thing is to see when people haven't, the, the first time that people come, the first time they take a step onto that orphan, into the orphanage or onto the Maasai land, like their whole life changes, like how you, you know, your yeah. perspective and the people. And again, it's that culture. It's, the, it's really, it's the understanding, it's the listening, mm-hmm. hearing what is important to them. How are their lives so different from ours, but also so similar, similar in so many ways. So it's really fun. How do you feel like this experience has has changed the way you move through your actual career? I don't do it for this, but I think I have a lot of visibility in the company as not just someone who's 
selling or doing well at their job, but someone who cares outside. And again, I'm, I'm not doing this for this purpose, but again, people knowing your name and knowing what you're, what you care about is important. It's putting that human side of, you know, into, into your career. And so I think, um, things that you're passionate about, I think you should bring to work. Mm-hmm. And so like I do all so much of my fundraising at LinkedIn events or invite LinkedIn people or tell my story. Um, like 75% of the kids that we have sponsored are sponsored by LinkedIn employees. And the other 25% are like former LinkedIn employees, mm-hmm. you know? So um, uh, I, I just think having things that you're passionate about and not being afraid to share it, bring your whole self to work. Um, let people know about things that you care about inside work, outside of work yep. and be a human. And I think that really helps your career. Um, even though it might not be why you're doing it and it shouldn't be why you're doing it. Yeah. That, that resonates a lot with me. I think, um, a lot of people feel like they will be seen differently if they bring other things, if they're known for, um, or they share that they have other passions or interests or the other things that they spend their time doing, like, oh, it's a distraction from work. And in reality, it humanizes you. Mm-hmm. It actually makes people think uh, a lot more of your capacity, ability, curiosity, mm-hmm. like what you bring to the table as a person in life in this world. Um, I think that's really, really good advice. It's so easy to feel like, oh, I should be known as the person who gets my work done and puts my head down and just does the thing. And it's like, no. Your lift your head up, open your eyes, bring, there's so much to all of us and being able to talk about that in a work environment and even leverage the work environment and community and respect that you've built to further and better the impact that you're making and your passion projects is incredible. Um, that's very, very inspiring. I want to go now. I want to go to the orphanage. Go. We're going in July. To, really? Well, you could come in a month if you want to go to graduation, but it's just me. Oh my gosh. And then July we go, um, we at LinkedIn has a shutdown between mm-hmm. Christmas and New Year's, mm-hmm. and then the week of Fourth of July, so I uh, we started a group within the company called Travel In, I N get it Travel yeah, In LinkedIn, for Travel good, in. Travel In for good, Travel oh. In for good, and so it's like a properly recognized group within the company now. Wow! And we um, partnered with a nonprofit um, that does a lot of work in Vietnam. So they have come with us to Tanzania, and we've gone with them to Vietnam. We're going back to Vietnam um, over New Year's this year too. So, um, and doing a project there, they it's a that's a very interesting um, uh, that's a really interesting project as well. But you're a dynamic lady, making your <laughs> boss's life easier. Uh, Eighteen rental properties and getting other people to pay the mortgages, building chicken coops and wells, and going to start orphan or helping to build out orphanages, starting daycares, putting kids through. That's, I mean, it's incredible. Like, this is exactly the type of thing that um, I think people, and especially women that are in this community, feel inside of them, but they don't know how to do it. And I feel like you laid out very explicit steps. Like, it's it's amazing that you had to come up to get a mortgage in college. I don't know that that is going to happen that for was most an accident. college I don't know how I got now. that. <laughs> but still, it's like, you start somewhere. You start somewhere and then you use the, you use the tools and the strategy the right way to the snowball effect that you talked about. And then into what I love the most about this conversation is, and I, and I don't think I realized how well integrated all the parts of you really are. And they are like symbiotic with each other. And that's really incredible. And it, it takes intentionality, but it also sounds like you just had a non-negotiable for yourself that you were going to bring your full self in everything that you did the people that you work with in Tanzania probably know 
about LinkedIn and your story there and the fact that you have other things going on in your life. The people that you work with in LinkedIn obviously know much about the philanthropy. And I, I love that. I think it's really cool and it's inspiring that it, it wasn't like you had this master plan to do any of it. It just was one thing at a time and you were authentic in the way that you talked about your personal life and your professional career and vice versa. And it just seems like you've built this really well integrated life for yourself. I think the word you said there that's most important is authentic Mm -hmm. because again, you want to humanize yourself in all ways Mm -hmm. and you want uh, to know, I want to know about other people as well. I want to know things that they care about so that as my colleague, um, I want to support them and their life and their passions and other things that are going on. Um, And another thing that you said that's really important is, of course, it's good to have a a plan Mm -hmm. and a path, but don't be afraid to veer off that path. Like, I almost think it's important to keep, you don't want to be too focused on your path. You want to keep your eyes looking to your peripherals as well. Don't put blinders up. Like, there's so much... There's so many forks in the road that could happen. So many times people will say, oh, no, I'm not going to take that job because I want to take this one. Yep. But if you take the sidestep, you're going to learn about the company from a whole different perspective, which gives you a lot of uh, unique value, Mm -hmm. um, which then would potentially make you a better candidate or at least a new, uh, a more unique candidate um, to take, like to make a a jump, to like skip a step. And that's happened to me before where you're just like, look at the opportunities that are out there and say, I'm not afraid to take something that's a little bit different if I can see how mm-hmm. this is going to help me long term. And again, you don't you don't know where your path is going to go, but, you know, it's good to have a it's good to have a direction that you're going to. But I don't think it should. I don't think it can be anymore in this world. A very straight line. It's it's better to get yep. the perspectives. I mean, your unlock is your secret sauce seems to be how open and curious you are to experiences and then how you actually use all of those experiences that you planned or did not plan as your superpower to be really, really, really excellent at, at what you want to do. I mean, I've, I've learned a lot. I'm really glad that we had this conversation. Uh, is there anything else that you feel like has played a really big role in either who you are as a person or your journey to your version of success that we didn't talk about? I can give you a couple of those quotes. Maybe oh, yeah. I want to hear. Yeah, quotes. yeah. One is one of my favorites. Get speeding tickets, not parking tickets. Love that. In other words, like, you know, within reason, ask for forgiveness, not permission. Mm-hmm. Go for it. Go for what you need and then kind of solve as you go. This is a football. Uh, I, th- I think it's football. It might be basketball quote, but progress, not perfection. Mm-hmm. Again, this is we live in an iterative yeah, like world society. Better, every day. Yeah, it doesn't have to be perfect. Just get better, better, better. And if the better you get, like the more um, success that you'll have. Um, I'm a big fan of gamifying everything. Gamifying your life, gamifying things with your friends, your teams. Also, like if you have to say no to someone, say no with the word yes. You know, like it's because it's all about, um, um, you know, looking to the positive side of things. Like I can't help you here. What does that sound here. like? Yeah. So if someone says, if someone, you know, is asking, I, I'm in sales, people ask for discounts, people ask for things. I'll say, um, I can't give you what you're asking for, but what I, but, but yes, I can give you this or yes. So saying the word mm. yes in like the sentence. Literally using the word yes. The word yes. Okay. 
because it's a perception and people make decisions based on emotion and then look for data to back up their decision. So just the word yes, even though you're saying no, feels feels good to the person that you're having to say no to. Mm -hmm. And you're also then obviously trying to find what part you can say yes to. So even though I'm saying no overall, here's the one thing I can say yes to. People appreciate when you are helping solution with them and for them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I love that one. That's good. Progress, not perfection. Uh, I love speeding tickets, not parking tickets. Like let's not get caught on our heels doing nothing. Let's be the one that was moving quickly and maybe broke some stuff along the way. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. We did a rapid fire last time and it was fun, but I, there is just one question that I'm curious. Do you, what did you want to, did you want to be an archaeologist when you grew up? Like, what did you want to be when you grew up, when you were little? Archaeologist. Archaeologist. Okay. Yeah. I just, you know, what's a, what's a career that's going to give me adventure, mm-hmm. travel, mm-hmm. meeting new people. I'm not afraid of getting my hands dirty. Yep. You know, I wanted to be outside. I didn't want to be stuck in an office. Well, I think I have actually all of those things you do. in different capacity than I expected. But it's almost like, um, like I said before, your jobs when you're at the beginning of your career to figure out what you don't want to do. Like mm-hmm. this isn't going to be, this part of this job is mm-hmm. not the thing I want to do. So then you can kind of round out and find the, the ways that you want to um, like engage with that non-negotiable that you have to have. So it won't mm-hmm. all be through work. I think that's the other thing too. It's not all through work. So then that's how you can you know, other investments and the um, fill, the Tanzania work that I do that like fills in the gap of the things that I might not otherwise. You're inspiring. Thank you for sharing the story and your brain with us. I, I have so many takeaways. and I know that anyone that listens to this is also going to have takeaways. So I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was yeah. very nice to see you. So fun. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Gateless Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I have. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's like giving us a virtual high five. While you're at it, share the podcast with a few of your fellow anti-gatekeepers. Until next time, keep chasing your dreams and breaking those glass ceilings. Thanks for being part of the Gateless Journey. Catch you later.